Easy, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, am I? Yep, there I am. I'm good. So we're continuing on in this conversation through Genesis, and we're coming up to this this thing that I talked to you about last week called the Table of Nations, or the Tower of Babel. And there's this kind of lingering question. Um, when you look around the world, you see this unbelievable variety of people. I used to say flavors of people, but that sounded very, you know, weird. But so, you know, it, it, it all works out. So now we talk about, you know, varieties of people. Um, and we have, I mean, we have such an amazing differences in culture and in custom. I mean, you got, you got some cultures that are just very bright and wild and verbose. I mean, look at the guy up, uh, up there. He looks crazy. You know, he's, He's doing this uh, uh, New Zealand dance called the haka, and it's like this crazy warrior dance, and he looks like he's having a lot of fun. Um, but then you have all you have other cultures that are extremely quiet, more contemplative. It's and, you know, and this this goes all the way around the world, and you have this amazing variety of people. So how did how did we get to this degree where there are so many different types of people in this world? The Bible tells us, if the Bible is true, the Bible tells us that the entire population of the earth was wiped out in the flood of Noah's day that we talked about last week, and that there only eight people survived. Four men, four women. How do we really think that you can get the variety of people that we have today in only about 4,250-ish years, that's about how long it's been since the time of Noah, the, the flood of Noah's day based on the chronology in the Bible. Do we really think we can trust the Bible to be accurate, to, to, that we can get this kind of variety of people in such a short period of time? Well, yeah, actually, that's exactly what we can do. And I'm going to show you some of this today. Now, a lot of these conversations we talk about, we're talking about biblical truth, but we have to kind of journey on other, in other areas so that we can see that the, the science and the history outside, the, the extra biblical science and history validates what the Bible is telling us. So we have to be able to see the Bible's promises and the Bible's claims in the natural world. And I'm going to show you that we can see that. Now, until very recently, and I mean very recently, like like the 1960s kind of recently, it was the, the evolutionary view of human development basically sounded like this, that there were different groups of people that evolved around the world at different rates and in different conditions. And that's very important to understand, different rates, that there were some groups of people that were less evolved than others. This was believed for millennia. And I really do mean up until around the 1960s. Okay? You might think, no, we're smarter than that. Not really. Not really. The human race is a relatively dense group. um, And we tend to hold on to our beliefs for a long time. Uh, And I want to show, I'm going to prove to you that that's true using some very interesting historical documents that I have been able to gather over the years. Now, the biblical view is that all the people around the earth, and I checked this Friday, there are about 8 billion people on the planet right now. Two years ago, it was 7.5 billion. Now it's 8 billion. People breeding like rabbits. It's crazy. We're going to find out why that's important later. But the biblical view is that all the various people groups, all the various cultures, all of the various languages 
can be traced back to this one event that we call the Tower of Babel, more commonly known as the Table of Nations. And that these groups spread out around the, around the world and then developed into their isolated cultures. But that they all come back to one event. So there's some questions that we need to deal with. And the first question is, is there evidence other than the Bible to support this view? So when I talk to people about, about evolution, they love to throw this out. You look at all the different races around the world. There's no way that you can trace that all back to one, one biblical event. You know, you just, you're just using the Bible. Really? Because I can do it without the Bible. Because it's out there. And secondly, the, second, the last question we're going to deal with today is, what are the historical dangers of the evolutionary view? I want to sh- show you something today. One of, the pre- one of the predominant arguments that's been in our culture uh, over the last several years is uh, what, what has been called racial equity. Right or this this uh, this you know um, you can call it in a lot of different ways. I don't want to support any of it, um, but this idea that we have to look at people based on their race, the color of their skin, where they come from, all of this stuff, and and that will determine their value or their history or what they think or don't think, which is all false. We're going to see this. We're going to see how God tells us how to view people. So let's look at the first thing. What does the Bible claim happened? If you go back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this is after the flood. The, the waters have receded. The, the ark has landed on Ararat, and Noah and his family stepped out. And I want to point something out. Remember I told you that when we were created, that, that we were created to be vegetarians. God said, all plants are yours for food. And, and then, then Noah and his sons stepped off the ark, and they did a burnt offering. They did a burnt offering, and God said, this smells amazing. You may now eat anything. So I just want to point out, one good barbecue (laughs) changed the heart of God (laughs) when it comes to food, and that's why I will always love meat. That's just the way that works. So anyway, moving right along into the actual topic. Once they stepped off the ark, God gave them very clear directions. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Now, if you step over to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, it reads like this. At one time, uh, so, so basically they, they did, they started having babies, all, uh, and started building towns, and, 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 and some time passed. And it says, at one time, all the people of the world, and now it's believed that there was around 10,000 people on the earth at this particular point in time. It says, all the people of the, uh, of the world spoke the same language. Now, that would make sense, right? You come from the same people, you speak the same language. And they use the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of uh, Babylonia and settled there. Some Bibles will say Shinar. Uh, They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. They're just curious. What 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 did God just tell them to do? God says, fill the earth, spread out all over the place and fill the earth. And man, in our infinite wisdom, did exactly the opposite. Anyone have kids? When you say something like, go clean your room, you forget they have a game console in their room. And they're doing nothing that you just told them to do. Isn't it interesting that we have always had the same problem (laughs) 
we can't follow directions. So God decided to force the issue. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but God has a long-term plan for humanity, and it's around our salvation. And we have a choice. We can follow that plan of God, or God will force the issue. Sometimes God puts significant hardship in your way because you know the direction you're supposed to be walking in and you're not. So God puts a block in your path to get you to do what he needs you to do because it's for our benefit. So God decided he was going to make things happen the way he asked us to make them happen. So down in verse 7, it says, come, let us go down. God is talking. He says, come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city because no one could understand each other. This is why the city was called Babel, because uh, it is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Now, we know they, they, God said, scatter all over the world and fill the world. And he said, no, let's build us a city. That way we don't have to do that. And God said, no, click, Go. No, no matter how you read the text, no matter how much metaphor or allegory you want to put into it, the Bible is making a very clear claim that out of eight people, all the nations of the world arose. We went from eight to eight billion in about 4,250 years. Now, I don't know about you, but that is crazy. That is just crazy. Now, you think about this. In our world right now, there are six, there are over 16,500 distinct people groups that have been cataloged. Distinct people groups. Over 196 countries, and that's not including the countries that have arisen in time and then been conquered. Okay, right now on the earth, there are 196 countries. How do you get that from just four couples? Four people. Well, I, I'm glad you all asked. I'm, I, I'm thrilled that you, that you brought that up. Thank you. Now, remember, in 2019, the global population was 7.5 billion. And in 2022, the global population is 8 billion. 500 million people in under three years, if you figure out when they actually take the censuses. 500 million people in under three years. That's a lot of babies. So is it possible that we can actually get from 8 to 8 billion in that period of time. Well, we just happen to have a math magician here uh, uh, on staff. You call him Abel Larkin. I call him uh, uh, my resource for anything number-related. I, I, I throw stuff at him constantly. Hey, what does this look like? And he'll send a message back. I think we were talking about the exponential growth of people over 200,000 years, and he said, that's over 100 digits, and no, I'm not doing it by hand. Um, it's one of those math problems you put in your, cal- your calculator and just says error. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's my goal in life to break technology. So when you look at human population, the average human population growth ranges between 1% and 3%. That's, that's basically what happens. About 1% and 3%, that's how fast the population will grow. Um, so what happens if you split that and you say at 1.5% maximum, how long would it take to get from 8 to 8 billion? Now, what we did, Abel actually did something pretty amazing. He went, instead of using 8, he used 6 because he figured Noah and his wife were probably tired. They were like 700-something years old, probably didn't want to deal with a baby. So we only used 6, the sons of Noah and their wives. Can you get from 6 to 8 billion? And how long would it take? And actually, I think, I, I think we originally did 7.5 billion. Well, at 1.5%, it only takes 
about 1,400 years. It's called exponential growth. You get to the point, you kind of crawl, 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 and then all of a sudden, everything scoops up. Because now you have a larger group of people having kids on a more regular basis. 1,400 years? I mean, that's fast. Well, at 1%, it only takes 2,100 years. 1%. And at a half a percent, using only three couples, it takes 4,200 years. Now, if you were to take into consideration wars, famine, plagues, yada, yada, it does not take much to figure out that we can very easily get from 6 to 8 billion in that time frame. It is not that hard to figure that out. Now, the problem is that this actually creates a different issue. According to Darwinian theory, Neanderthals, who were supposed to be, you know, us before us, walked the earth for around 200,000 years. And at best, they say modern man has only been around for about 10 to 20,000 years. That's what they're, what they, what they try to say. Now, I want you to think about this. The estimated number of atoms in the universe is 10 to the 80th power. At a 1% growth rate, the Neanderthals would have exceeded the number of atoms in the universe in 20,000 years. Which is silly because they would have been made up of atoms. But you get the idea. That's a lot of people. If they walked the earth for 200,000 years and they only had a one half percent birth rate, we should be tripping over Neanderthal skeletons. They should be everywhere. At the same time, if humans have been around for 10 to 20,000 years, we should be tripping over human bodies. They would be everywhere. And that's at a half a percent growth rate. Where are all the bodies? Now, it might seem far-fetched. People think, well, that's not just how that works. That's crazy. How many of you ever have you ever uh, heard, heard this little uh, uh, question? Would you rather have a million dollars now or a penny doubled every day for 30 days? Anyone ever heard that? Right? Would you take the mil- Who would take the million now? Million dollars. Right in your hand. Right now. Versus a penny doubled every day for only 30 days. Okay, good. No one, everyone, you've figured this out. This is a trick question. After 30 days, that penny doubled every day for 30 days. How much money do you think you have at the end of 30 days? 5368709 dollars and 12 cents. That's in only 30 days. That's what exponential growth does. Because it's doubled every day. So population isn't an issue. So, yeah, the Bible's claim stands up to history. The evolutionary claim does not, based on their own math. Now, when you think about it, if God had taken all the people of the earth and he spread them around the earth, we should be able to trace them back through things like names and places. You think about it, we live in what state? New York, I mean, some of you want to forget, I get it, you know. We live in New York, named after York in England. We are New York. When you have New Amsterdam, this is how New Mexico got its name. It used to be part of Mexico until there was this little conflict down there, and then there was Mexico and New Mexico. We keep the names. We keep places. We keep, we keep our history alive by what we, by what we, um, what carry with us. Uh, Samantha has some relatives out in, in uh, Ohio, and out there there's a Jefferson County, a Watertown, and a Jefferson Community College. It's weird. There's two of us. 
When I was training for Cracker Barrel, when I used to manage for them, I was uh, driving down, I think it's Route 44, you start getting past, uh, getting, getting towards Memphis. There's Pulaski, Carthage, Copenhagen, and the, the, the headquarters for, for uh, Cracker Barrel is in Watertown, Tennessee. It's just outside of Copenhagen. Now, granted, it's Pulaski down there, so you, 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 know, you, get, you get the idea. We carry these names with us. So can we trace back societies to the sons of Noah and the way they spread around the world? Because the Bible tells us where they went. Actually, yes, we can. And we can do it from their own historical records. Now, for those of you who really like to pick up uh, uh, books, I want to encourage you to pick up Ancient put, uh, Post-Flood History. This takes actual historical records from these nations and traces the names of their leaders back to the sons of Noah. Dozens of countries. It's so cool. I know my nerd is showing, so I'll, I'll get right up. So as Kenaz and Hayak were two of the sons, uh, the grandsons of Noah, and um, they went to Germany and Armenia. Now in Armenia right now, there is a, a statue of their founder, Hayek. That's kind of interesting. It'd be weird if they have the same name. Now, the other interesting thing is Askenaz is the way Jews are referred to in Germany. So Hasidic Jews in Israel refer to German Jews as Askenazi Jews. Now, when I was taking a Hebrew class, I was taking a Hebrew class from someone in Israel. Uh, they were in a, a, a university in Tel Aviv. And as we're talking, um, you have to learn to pronounce these things in, in Hebrew ways. There's like a rolling of the tongue, like this weird stuff. And she got like, she seriously got on my case. She, she, she goes, George, you sound like Askenazi Jew. And you need to practice. I'm like, sorry. But when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally real. They even pronounce things differently, and apparently they don't get along very well. Now, Cush went to Ethiopia. Ethiopians right, uh, today are still called Cushites. Today they're still called Cushites. Mizraim went to Egypt. The Hebrew word for Egypt is Mizraim. Still today, Right? You think about other societies that you can trace back, you can trace back their, their lineage through their own historical records. Here are just some that trace back to the sons of Noah. Denmark, Norway, Britain, France, Georgia, Greece, Ireland, Scotland, Italy, Russia, Troy, Arabia, China, and India, just to name a few. I really recommend picking up the book. It's really cool. And these are their own historical records. This isn't just made up stuff. So we got the names and places that seem to follow the Bible. So what else do we got? What about building styles? Now, if you were taught to build something in a specific way, wouldn't you carry that building style with you? You know, engineering is engineering, but at the same time... Now, now here's one cool thing. What were they building just before God kicked them around the world? They were building a tower. A tower to the sky. So wouldn't it be interesting if you saw a very similar building style for towers and temples all around the world that historically show up at the same point in time? That would be weird, right? Well, it's kind of cool because it does. This building style is called a ziggurat. Not a cigarette. Okay? Ziggurat. 
These structured have, structures have baffled scientists all around the world because paleontologists have found these same temples all over the world that show up at the same time in history all over the world. So check this out. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Now, this one's really cool. This is the Mayan Copan Pyramid and uh, the Javanese Kundi, whatever that says. One is found in Honduras. The other one is found in Indonesia. They're on the opposite sides of the earth, literally the opposite sides of the planet, exact same building style. These temples are all over the world, and scientists have no idea why. Well, I know why. It's because people took the building style that they knew and it traveled with them. It makes sense to me. It makes sense in light of scriptural authority. Now, at the same time, when you think about legends, 95% of the more than 200 flood legends around the world, the flood was worldwide. 88% of them, a certain family was favored. 70% of them, the survival was by the means of a boat. 67% uh, said all the animals were saved. 66% said the flood was due to the wickedness of man. Um, 66% said the survivors had been forewarned. 57% of those legends uh, said that the boat ended up on a mountain. And 35% say where birds were sent out from the boat. Every major culture on the planet has a flood legend. One of my favorite ones is a Chinese flood legend where humanity was saved by eight immortal people on a boat filled with animals. Now that's weird that in China, they would have those details. Now at the same time, the oldest recorded religion outside of Hebrew is a Chinese faith called Shangdi. Shangdi is known as the one true God, the God of heaven. Now, if you follow the worship styles of Shangdi, it very closely imitates early Hebrew, the way that they reverence him. Weird. What a coincidence. Now, it would be even more weird if the Chinese language, I don't know, told the story of Noah and, and Genesis. That would be weird, right? Well, I'm glad you asked, because it does. Chinese language is pictographic, which means every picture has a story attached to it. So all the words are combinations of different pictures, and they mean specific things. They're trying to relay a truth. Now, here's something very interesting. Here's a Chinese word for garden. It's made up of dust, breath, two people, and an enclosure. Doesn't that sound sound like Genesis 2? I mean, why two people? Why not just dust enclosure? Really, why two people? Well, how about this one? Here's the Chinese word for forbidden or worn. Two trees, God. Well, that, that, that sounds a lot like Genesis, doesn't it? Here's the Chinese word for covet or desire. Two, tree, two trees, woman. <laughs> she just makes it into every language, doesn't she? It's just everywhere. Now, here's a really fun one. Here's a Chinese word for boat. Vessel, eight people. Why eight? Why not just, I don't know, vessel? Why eight? Why do you put eight people in there if you're not trying to relay a truth to people through history? When you think of boat, don't ever forget what God has done for us when he built that vessel containing those eight people. There's a truth that's trying to be relayed. Here's a fun one, tempter. Tempter is made up of two Chinese words, devil 
Well, we'll we'll get to that point here in a second. It starts with secret man garden, alive devil. Then you add devil to two trees, cover. That's tempter. Why two trees? Why why two trees? That doesn't make any sense outside of the Bible. And this is China. This isn't this isn't Jerusalem. This is China. Now, the Chinese word for tower means grass, clay, mankind, mouth. Mouth? When you're thinking of the word tower and you're trying to draw it out pictographically, are you thinking, we should put a mouth in there? Because that's going to make sense to everybody. No, it makes sense to nobody outside of biblical truth, outside of the account in Genesis. Science and archaeology... Language and history all testify to the reliability of God's word. Paleontology, archaeology, all traces. Every, the, the birth of every major civilization can be traced just after the Tower of Babel. Every one. It's amazing to see it. But the, the bulk of the archaeological community goes, la, 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 la. No, we don't want to give credence to the Bible. Because once you start giving credence to the Bible, people start looking at it as though it can be trusted. So science, archaeology, history, paleontology, all points to the reliability of Scripture. So there's question number one. Can we see evidence for the reliability of Scripture outside of the Bible? Yes, we can. In every area. Question number two. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, it matters because there are historical dangers to the claims made by evolution. And this is one of the reasons why I even got into this argument. I love the science, but this, this was much more, I think, much more important. Now, I am in no way saying that Darwin is the cause of racism in our world, but I want to show you where some of the deep roots of racial division in our world come from, and they come from this ideology. In the 1960s, during the civil rights era, you would see pictures like this very often. They're all over the place. They're all over the newspapers. You see, you see this kid, I won't go to school with colored people. White power. Are these just dumb hicks? Now, for a long, a long time, that's just the way it was looked at. You're just a dumb hillbilly. You're just backwards in your thinking. You're ignorant. But some of the most intelligent people in the world held these views. So that doesn't really hold up. During World War II, how many of you ever heard of the Tuskegee Airmen? Some of the greatest pilots of World War II, all colored. It was believed, one of the hard parts about getting them to the point where they were allowed to fly, it was believed And I'm just saying this because this is what was believed, that the black man's brain wasn't developed enough to be to handle something so complicated. It was scientifically believed. Why? We have to move past ignorance. There has to be a reason behind it. And I'm telling you, the reason is found in Darwinian evolution. There is a reason why people had this view. It was taught to people 
for decades. For decades, it was believed, remember I told you this in the beginning, that different societies evolved in their intelligence and their ability at different rates around the world. I want to show you a textbook from the early 1900s. This is a school textbook. Hopefully none of you remember this textbook. I'm just just saying. This is a civic biology by George W. Hunter. This was one of the main textbooks used in American high schools and in high schools around the world for decades. Decades, okay? This is a 1916 copy. This was the textbook used in the Scopes trial, also known as the monkey trials. They wanted to teach evolution. Now, the conservatives said, no, this is dangerous. We should not teach this. They technically won the trial, but eventually they lost the argument. I want to show you. All the pictures that I'm going to show you are from this book. I didn't get these online. These are, these are pictures. I'm going to read this to you from this book. I want you to very carefully listen to what was being taught to high schoolers as early as the 1910s. Okay? Listen carefully. It says, At the present time, there exist upon the earth five races or varieties of man, each very different from the other in instinct, social customs, and to the extent in structure. These are the Ethiopian or Negro type originating in Africa, the Malay or brown race from the islands of the Pacific, the American Indian, the Mongolian or yellow race, including the natives of China, Japan, and the Eskimos. Listen carefully. And finally, the highest type of all categories. Okay? The Caucasian represented by the civilized white inhabitants of Europe and America. That was the textbook. I'm not making excuses for anyone because this is ignorance in print is what it is. It was taught, taught in the American high school system and in high schools around the world that the evolutionary structure of man climbed the ladder and that the highest were the whites and that the lowest were the colored. I'm sorry. It's just what was taught. So when you get into the 1960s and you start to see high schoolers holding these signs up saying, I, and, and I didn't put it up, but I have them. It says, I don't want to go to school with a monkey. Who would hold that view? They were taught it. They were taught it. It was taught in the public school system that the black man was just a little higher than a primate. If you don't believe me, research Otto Benga. He was brought to the United States from New Zealand and put in a zoo as a living exhibit of primitive man. This is what was taught. Why? Because evolution demanded it. This is frightening stuff. From this view... This wasn't the only place this was taught, folks. From this view, you have people like Madison Grant. Madison Grant was an extremely influential person in the early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. Listen to this quote. Some of these are difficult to hear, but listen to this. We need to understand this. The intelligence and ability of the colored person is 
are in pretty direct proportion to the amount of white blood he has. Most of the, uh, of the positions of leadership, influence, and prominence in the Negro race are held not by real Negroes, but by mulattoes, many of whom have very little Negro blood. I'm not making this up. It was believed that this is how, how society was structured. One of his title works, The Passing of the Great Race, by Madison Grant. And it says, or the racial basis of European history. He wrote this book because he was afraid of intermarriage. He was afraid that the greatness of the white man was going to be bred out of existence if we kept intermarrying. What he didn't know was he was basically speeding up genetic mutation and causing really serious health problems in his own people. Now, the writings of Madison Grant greatly affected two people in the early 1900s. Anyone want to take guess who they are? Adolf Hitler who referred to this book as his Bible. In this book, Madison Grant outlines a plan. Tell me if you think this rings a bell. He outlined a plan in this book, and yes, I've read the sections, where you gather up all the undesirable people and you put them in a camp, you use them as a forced, uh, as a, uh, a forced labor force, and then when they're, you can experiment on them to learn about humankind without having to deal with you know, real people, and then just dispose of them when they're not needed. Because that's the most humane thing you can do is get them out of the gene pool. It's called eugenics. Hitler adopted this in World War II. That's where he got, he got the idea of the death camps from this guy because of his extreme Darwinist views. The other person that was greatly affected by this. Oh, hey, let me, let me read you this little quote from this, uh, from this book. Said lowering the birth rate among the most valuable classes while the birth rate of the lower classes remains unaffected is a frequent phenomenon of prosperity. Such as uh, such a change becomes extremely injurious to the race if unchecked, unless nature is allowed to maintain by her own cruel devices the relative number of uh, the different classes in their due proportions. The attack uh, to attack race suicide by encouraging indis- indiscriminate reproduction is not only futile but is dangerous. If it leads to an increase in the undesirable elements, what is needed in the community most of all is an increase in the desirable classes, which are of superior type physically, intellectually, and morally, and not merely an increase in the absolute numbers of population. The value and uh, uh, efficiency of a population are not numbered by what the newspaper can, uh, uh, calls souls, but by the proportion of men of physical intellect. I just want to read to you the bottom part of this next piece. The church assumes a serious responsibility toward the future of the race whenever it steps in to to preserve defective strains. That's straight out of this book, folks. Adolf Hitler says, the demand that defective people be prevented from propagating equally defective offspring is a demand of the clearest reason and if systematically executed represents the most humane act of mankind. Hmm. People love to try to think that Hitler was a Christian. Um, No. The second person that was greatly affected by the writings of Madison Grant is Margaret Sanger founder of Planned Parenthood. 
people lobby today, and they still believe today, that Planned Parenthood is a social organization designed to help women. No, it's not. It was designed to weed out racial undesirables. Margaret Sanger traveled to Europe to learn the process of eugenics from Nazi Germany. She says, eugenics is the most adequate and thorough avenue to the solution of racial, political, and social problems. These are her words, not mine. In an article that she published in her magazine, Birth Control Magazine, which, by the way, is no longer in print, Sanger listed several goals that she had through through a proposal she called the Population Congress. She was proposing a government organization to control population based on her Darwinian views and that hierarchy of racial distribution that we just looked at in the textbook. Here's what she says. To apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to the grade of populations whose progeny is tainted or whose inheritance is such that uh, objectionable traits may be transmitted to the offspring. To ensure the, the country against future burdens of maintenance for numerous offspring as they may be born of feeble-minded parents by poisoning, uh, uh, by uh, pensioning all persons with uh, transmissible, transmissible disease who voluntarily consent to fertilization. And lastly, to give certain dysgenic groups, means lower, less desired groups, Dysgenic groups in our population, their choice of segregation or sterilization. Margaret Sanger's organization sterilized, I believe it was about 100,000 people unknowingly to get them out of the population so they would no longer breed, based on her Darwinian viewpoints. She says the most successful educational approach to the Negro is through the religious appeal. We do not, now listen, we do, we do not want to get the word out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Here's something she actually said in a radio interview. I think it was the early 1950s. The most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, this was the early 1900s. This is when this was taught everywhere, and everyone believed that hierarchy of racial distribution was the same. It wasn't until the 1960s that equality actually began to get talked about, and it wasn't until 2012, 2012, where the Human Genome Project released a study showing that there is only one race of people on the planet, the human race. We have all been traced back to the same two biological parents. We are all the same. We are all sons and daughters of God. And there are still groups of people who go back to this. That can't be true. We've believed something different for so long. No, that can't be true. Yes, it is. We are all sons and daughters of God. There's not a difference between either one of us other than our genetic makeup. I don't know if you realize this. I do not have a lot of melanin in my skin. And I'm about to go off to Tanzania during the hot season because I'm stupid. 
I'm either going to come back thinner or dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for thinner, you know. Just I come back like a raisin, just all dehydrated. It's insane. But here's the thing. The Bible has been saying this from the beginning. The word of God has told us this from the very start. Even when you get into Romans. I'm going to start in verse 20, 21. It says, for, they, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over uh, in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Because we wanted to be so smart, we wanted to be so clever, we wanted to figure everything out, and there's no way this religious nonsense could have had it right. Because of all of this stuff, we decided to do our very best to divide the entire world based on color and culture. But meanwhile, the Word of God had it right the whole time. And to the shame of the church, we ignored it can't do that anymore can't do that anymore I think Martin Luther King Jr. had it right that we should judge each other by the content of our character and not the color of our skin every single one of us don't matter what color your skin is you could be an amazing person or a complete psychotic jerk it's up to you. I'm thinking nice person is the goal. Call me crazy. God has something wonderful for us, and it starts with our adherence to his word. And his word says that we are all his. We are all lost. We are all sinners. We are all failed. We are all flawed. We are all hopelessly broken without Christ in our life. We are all doomed to an eternity away from God in a place called hell if we do not accept the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was not a white European. 